We come to Psalm 27, which is one of those psalms with a couple again familiar verses that that speak in this way to our souls about our one thing, about what reigns there in our hearts. Psalm 27, hear the Word of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to seek Him in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me. Answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face do I seek. O Lord. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother, they have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning to your presence to seek you in your temple. To gather as a people. And we know that we as your people, when we are together, we are your temple. You are present with us. You are in our midst and you fill each one of us with your spirit and your presence. You are good to draw near to us. And we draw near to you. Speak to our souls this morning. A fresh word that calls us to know you. To pursue you and to seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it is normal to be afraid. Fear is a normal human emotion. I don't think there's anybody here who would say, yeah, I'm never afraid. If you're not afraid, you're not normal. We live in a fallen world. The world is unpredictable. People are unpredictable. What they will do or what they will do to us. Governments are unpredictable. We're finite creatures. We're not in control of our own circumstances. Things happen to us every day that we're not in control of. We're not in control of our circumstances and we don't see the future. We don't know what's around the corner. We literally don't know what will happen tomorrow. You may think you know. You may have plans for tomorrow. 
but you don't know. And every day, somebody wakes up and has a day they did not anticipate. We don't know how things will turn out. So many things before us. James says in James 4.14, James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's just that simple. What is your life? For you are like a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. We are like, a, life is like trying to get a hold of a mist. We think we're in control, but we're not in control. But God understands this. And, and these, are, these are the grounds of our fears, aren't they? When I'm not in control and I don't know how it's going to turn out for my children or for, for me or with that job or with this situation or with that house or with this whatever, or with those people who were in conflict and you know, my marriage. There's so many things we, just, we don't know how they're going to turn out so we worry and we're anxious and we're afraid. And God understands this. He's a good shepherd. He's a good, good father. And He knows us. And He speaks to our fears again and again. Psalm 103.14 says, He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows our fears. He knows our finiteness. Our weakness. And He loves us even in our littleness. And so He speaks to our fears. In His great grace, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the first half of this psalm, speaks uh, to his own fears, You know, declares what he knows about the Lord to be true concerning his own fears, but in speaking to his own fears, he speaks to ours. We have the same God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God he knew is the God we know. And David is simply preaching to himself what we all know to be true about God. And we can preach to ourselves. Right? So he speaks to our fears. In the first six verses, he celebrates God's character. He celebrates who God is for him in his fear. Who God is for him in his trouble when things are not the way that he wants them to be. And then the rest of the psalm, from 7 to the end, is David praying. Right? We see a shift. It's David praying. David praying all those things he just declared to be true, that he knows to be true, and he turns to begin to pray that he would experience the truth of those things in his life in his emotional life, in his experience, in his circumstances, he begins to pray it down and to pray it in. There's often this gap between what we know to be true of God, who He is for us. There's this gap between all that we have in our heads and that we know and our actual experience of those things in our emotions and in our lives, isn't there? They're not in the same, they're not connected the way I would love them to be. That if I know this is true, I would never have this emotion again. The Lord is my shepherd. I will never want again. And even though I walk in the dark valleys, I will not be afraid ever again. Just because I know it. I know that it's true. How many of you know that you shouldn't worry? That you shouldn't be anxious? But you are anyway. The gap is closed. I believe that's part of what this psalm teaches us. That gap is closed by a prayerful seeking of God. By a seeking of the Lord's face in prayer. Where those things 
where his, those things are melted in His presence. That it is His presence that calms our fears, speaks to our souls, puts us at ease and at peace in a way that only He can. Not knowing things about Him, but actually being with Him. Which is a different thing. And we sometimes forget that it is. It's one thing to know all about Him. It's another thing altogether to seek Him and to know Him and to abide in Him. I love David's confidence though. He preaches to himself. I believe every Christian should preach the truth to himself. What you know to be true from the Scripture, you should in your head go over and preach to yourself what you know to be true. I said to myself, self, God is a good God. I know that it's true. Right? And David is in some ways doing this. Self, I said to myself, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Right? He, whom shall I fear? Self, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid of? When evildoers assail me and they come to eat up my flesh and the adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. He will hide me in His shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me up on a high rock. David's confidence is beautiful. <laughs> it's powerful. I'm going to sing in victory. I'm going to shout and sing in victory and in worship. His confidence comes from knowing who God is for him. He is my God. The Lord is my shepherd. And all that He is, He is for me. The Lord is for me. The Lord is on my side. He is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. Let's just camp there for a minute. Right? He is my light. Of course, He's not a literal light. Right? Not, in the, not in the sense that we need to light this room. So when He's my light, we know He's speaking figuratively. Uh, of you know, He's a light then to the, my inner world, a light to the spiritual world, a light to my mind and my emotions, a light to my soul. You know, it, 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 he is a light in my darkness. And the darkness that I struggle with is usually not physical. 1 John 1.5, the writer John tells us that God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. God is my light and my salvation. John 8.12, Jesus says, again, therefore Jesus spoke to them and said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but He will have the light of life. Right? Again, not a physical life. Uh, not a physical light that He offers. It's the light of life He offers us. He says, if you follow Me, you will walk in light. You are, it, it will be the light of life. Life in the soul that, that <clears throat> is, is an inner world that is alive to God and all that He is for us. Knowledge and understanding, light can symbolize so many different things and it does even in the Bible. It can, can be, you know, in our knowledge and our understanding, it, that light can help us make sense of the outer world because it, it teaches us, gives us understanding. But it also, light in the Bible, and, and same in the first John again, God is light, in Him is no darkness at all, is a moral statement. It's talking about a purity Versus walking in sin and walking in darkness that is moral. And so it gives light to our moral world. 
Right? So we see the truth of what is right and what is good and what is pure. So it lights our outer world with knowledge and our inner world with purity. Fear in itself is a kind of darkness, isn't it? Darkness kind of overshadows, uh, you know, fear kind of overshadows things. When you're afraid, you know, peace is out the window. You know, hope can, can disappear pretty quickly when you are afraid. Joy can be stolen. Confidence can melt. Fear is a kind of darkness that can overtake the soul. But God is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He casts out my fear because He lights my inner world. Psalm 18.28, He says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. These are the things we need to preach to ourselves. Teach ourselves. Remind ourselves. Ingrain in ourselves. Meditate on. Chew on. Swallow. So they go down deep. His presence and His promises illuminate the soul and they are the light of life, love, joy, peace, patience, hope. So He is our light and our salvation. And when David says salvation here, salvation in the Old Testament, it could be as much a physical salvation. It could be uh, translated there, maybe should be my deliverance. The Lord is my deliverance. He delivers me throughout the psalm here. David is concerned about his enemies that rise up and make war against him. And for David, this... This is literal. Right? So for you and I, we'll often have to step it back and our enemy is going to be someone who's mistreating us or seems like someone who may be out to get us or someone who I'm competing with or just maybe the world outside the door that seems to be. But we, go, we have to go figurative at some level. But for David, this is quite literal. Right? David is saying when he says that uh, evildoers assail me, my adversaries and foes, they come against me, an army encamps against me, they wake war against me. David is quite literally, as the king of Israel, facing this kind of thing. And if he is going to be delivered, it will be God's doing. And he knows where deliverance comes from. And God has raised him up, and he knows God will deliver me. It is what God is, is doing. Isaiah 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. He's my deliverance. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For Yahweh, God, is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. And I think for us, the same issues, like I say, our issues are different, but we all got issues. Our enemies are different, but we all got enemies. You know, and we, we like to deny it. I don't have any enemies. I don't hate anybody. But if you are angry with someone in your heart and you're having trouble with them, the chances are there's a posture there. In the day of our trouble, he says down in verse 3. No, verse 5. In the day of my trouble, He will hide me. God is our hope and our deliverer, our shelter, our tent, our high rock. In the day of our trouble, He is the one who will protect me Deliver me. He is a stronghold of my life. A fortress, a defense that we can hide in. So Proverbs 18 says, the, Lord, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and he is safe. God, who He is for us, and His name declares all He is for us. Who He is. 
And it says, and we can run into that. That's what David is doing in these first six verses. He is, the, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. David is running into it as he preaches to himself, in a sense, the gospel. That God is his salvation. That God will be his protection, his deliverer, his light. Colossians 3.3 says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I always found that an interesting image, a New Testament image, that we have died with Christ and been raised with Christ and being raised with Him. It says your life is now hidden in God with Christ. Like my life has been united with Christ's life and, and it's been put for safekeeping in God. Like He was a strong tower or a stronghold of some kind that my life is now safe within in Christ. I mean, it's interesting language. It makes me think of this idea that God is the stronghold of my life, which is now hidden in Him, safe for an eternity. Whatever even happens to me in this life, if I'm not delivered from this enemy, and I should be taken home today, my soul was in safekeeping. I know whom I believed, that He is able to preserve me for that day. Because God is all these things for me, David says, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? If, God, if the Lord is my shepherd, even though I walk through the valley of shadow and death, I will not be afraid. Oh, that it were so. Don't you want that? Don't you, don't you, you want to experience that in your life, in the dark valley, like when you're there? Not looking back on it and like, ah, I shouldn't have been afraid. It was just a dark valley. The Lord was with me. I know that. I knew it before. I remember it now. But in the dark valley, we need to know. He reminds us that we have nothing to fear. It, it reminds me again of the language of, of Romans 8.31. There's the same logic that is going on. If the Lord is my light and my salvation, I don't have to be afraid. In Romans 8, uh 31, he says the same logic. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, of whom shall I be afraid? Who can, who can be against us? It is they who will stumble. They will fall. Right? If God is for me, I am already shouting in victory and singing psalms of worship, knowing that, that, that the Lord will deliver. Romans 8, by the end of it, he says, If God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ? It's the same language. If the Lord is my light and my salvation, who will separate me? Who can be against me? In verses 2 and 3, he steps it up. He says, even though an army encamp against me, War rise up against me. And like I said, for David, that really happened again and again in his tenure as king. And he says as firmly there as he does anywhere else, my heart shall not fear. In the worst possible situation, China invades the United States or North Korea or whatever. You know, and they get a foothold. If they rise up against us, and we go to war, he says, my heart shall not fear. Because he is the Lord. And he is ever with us. With me. In the day of my trouble, he will hide me. He will conceal me. He will lift my head. He will spare me. The whole passage exudes 
confident, right? Which is what he says at the end of verse 3. I will be confident. And that's what it exudes. It's kind of the linchpin. The verse 3 verses leaving up to you, I will be confident. And the next three verses exuding that confidence. I will shout in victory and sing as I offer sacrifice and worship on the other side of all this. This confidence that he has. And yet, in verse 7, it turns. Right? There's this abrupt shift from his confidence, isn't there? Hear me, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. And the whole tenor of it changes. It, it changes. There's an abrupt shift, first of all, from the third person to the second person, isn't there? You know, and what that means is he, he goes from talking about God, who God is for him, to talking to God. Addressing him directly and pleading with him for what he needs and desires. And he pleads for many of the things he just talked about. By the end of the psalm, he is saying, don't forsake me, don't cast me away, teach me your ways, you know, you know, don't give me over to the will of my adversary, don't let me lose this battle. Where'd your confidence go? Right? He begins to plead, but I think there's a beauty in it. I think there's something here, this, this shift from talking about preaching to ourselves what we know to be true according to the Scripture. And you know how that is. We know what is true. But man, getting it down deep, where it begins to save me, where it begins to free me, where it begins to say, peace, be still. You know, that is a shift, and I believe a shift has to happen. I say, these things, that gap is closed by a prayerful seeking of God for the things that we know to be true. Knowing that they're true out here, but longing to experience them in my life, in my, in my inner world, where the light needs to shine in its fullness, but also in my circumstances, you know, wrestling with the Lord to work in my life. His confident, confident declaration turns into desperate prayer. <clears throat> and my friends, I think that is the <clears throat> excuse me, that is the nature of the Christian life. Because God knows what we need before we ask, and then he says, pray without ceasing. And don't pray and don't give up. Seek me, seek me, seek me with all of your heart and all of your soul. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. He knows what you need before you ask. We know what is true before we pray. But I'll tell you, all that stuff comes together as we seek him in his presence. And it goes beyond knowledge into the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of His presence. In His presence are pleasures forevermore. To know the Lord and let Him minister in our souls the power of all of these truths. So that when we walk through dark valleys and when enemies rise up against us and our confidence wavers in the dark, in our pain, in our confusion, we are afraid. And we are anxious. And it's normal. Which is why God says, seek my face. Seek my face. Right? That is the command that comes in verse 8. Beautiful and powerful. He, after reminding himself of all that he knows, he begins to seek the reality from the very face of God Himself. He cries out to experience it. Oh Lord, hear. I'm crying to You. Be gracious. Answer me. He knows that God hears, but He cries that He would be heard. He knows that God answers, but He cries out for grace. 
He knows that God is a good shepherd who will never leave him, but he pleads that God would not forsake him, that God would not cast him off. He knows that God is with him, but he turns his heart to the seeking of God's face in a desperate and passionate and real way. Because we can know what we know what we know all day. His deepest desires and His deepest fears. I said our prayer life really is a reflection of our desire life. And if you don't pray very much, you don't desire much spiritual things in your life. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. And I mean by nothing, He means spiritually good. You know, all those good spiritual things we want to be in our souls and to flow out of our lives. He says, you can't do any of those spiritually good things apart from Me. Your life is hid with Me in God. Abide in Me. Apart from Me, you can't do it. If you abide in Me, you'll bear much fruit. And there's this connection that He calls us to. And our deepest desires and our fears are expressed in passionate prayer and as they are, that is where we find after we have sought. That's when the door is opened. When we have been knocking. Right? It, it is that just the way God has done it. You may know what your kids need, but you're not going to give it to them apart from relationship and them talking to you and asking you and relating to you and being a part of your life. He's going to, you, you, you know, it, it is all part of something bigger. And when it ceases to be part of that something bigger, sometimes those things don't flow the way they could or should. It's not enough to have our heads full of truth. What I'm saying is we need to have hearts that seek the face of God. Our soul has to make this shift from verse 6 to verse 7. From simply preaching what we know to be true to our hearts passionately seeking it. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, I, I want to do the original work of being in a deepening conversation with the God who reveals Himself to me. Reveals Himself to you. I want to do the original work of being in a deepening conversation with this God who reveals Himself to me. Who addresses me my name. I don't want to dispense mimeographed, or we would say now photocopied handouts that describe God's business. In many ways, we're reading something that describes God's business. But we need to make the shift in the second half of the psalm that becomes our business. David did his business with God. David got serious with God. David got down and dirty, so to speak. Got his knees dirty, seeking God. And we need to make the same. He says, I don't want to read the description of people getting serious with God. He says, I want to report and witness out of my own experience. I want to know Him. I want to experience His grace and His peace in my soul. I want to be able to speak and witness to a world about things I know. That we have tasted and touched and handled ourselves. Right? He says, I don't want to hand out a... I want to live as a parasite on the first-hand spiritual experiences of David. I want to be personally involved with all of my senses. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I don't want to hear about Him. I want to know Him. I want to experience these things as David seeks them with all of his heart. That's in verse 4 he says, and I love, you know, it's 4 and 8 I, are verses I memorized many, many years ago. One thing have I asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This is David's one thing. Right? This is what David, he's saying, he's basically saying, oh Lord, if I could have one thing, this is what I want. Right? The one thing that I seek above all other things is to seek the Lord in, in, in a realness, in a real relationship, like really knowing Him. I want to seek the Lord and gaze upon His beauty to dwell in Yahweh's house. You know, a few things here. First of all, that the house that he's talking about, and, and you see the, I don't know, verse 4, he says house. The end of verse 4, he says temple. In verse 5, he talks about the shelter. In verse, and the next thing, he says his tent. All of this is, you know, in David's time, Solomon hasn't built the temple temple yet. Right? So the temple is still, the a tabernacle is still a tent. And so those images of tent, it's still the temple but it's still a tent at this point. And he's, this is what he's talking about quite literally. But the thing about the tent was what he, that he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord in, in his temple. That's like being in church all day, every day. You know, we may say, you know, in some ways, what we, as we were just worshiping is I heard you singing and I heard these guys singing and then leading us in singing. There's a part of me that says, yes, all day, every day, my God. Right, that I would just know You and love You and that I would be lifting my heart and worship to You. You would be my one thing. You would be that thing to which I have lifted my soul. And the only thing to which I lift my soul. Because the reality is when I get out there, I lift my soul to fear and I lift my soul to other things. But David in his craving, he doesn't, just, he doesn't want to be in the house. See, that's the thing. Exodus 40, verse 35, it says this, Moses was not able to enter the house of meeting, the, temp, the, the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. Psalm 26.8 says this, Your house, the place where your glory dwells. See, the glory is what David is after. The house is, can take it or leave it. You know, in, in that sense, it's wherever the glory was. If the, if the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of the Lord was not in the tent, but was, was you know, somewhere else, that's where David would want to dwell all the days of his life, to gaze upon what? The beauty of the Lord. Right? He, wants to, he wants to be with God. And it is in there that God had manifested Himself quite sensibly, I want to say. In a way that, whether physically or, you know, in some ways it was quite physical, that cloud that fell, they saw it. And when they moved the ark and they set up, you know, it followed the you know, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There was, a, there was a real manifestation. But this is the same glory that falls when Solomon builds his temple. David knows and wants the presence of God. He can't live in the temple all the time. Just like I, as often as much time as I spend here, I can't live at church all the time. David's not a priest. It's not his job. He's not even allowed to do it. But what David is saying is, I want an unbroken fellowship with God. I want to know Him and to be with Him all the time. It's my one thing. It's what I want more than I want anything else in the world. Let me ask you this. If you could ask the Lord to grant you one thing, I don't you know. Don't go to the leprechaun thing and you know, get three wishes. I mean, you know, sort of like that, but not. But if you were, but if you were to have one desire that God would grant in a sense of wishing, you could have one thing from Him right now. 
What would your one desire be above all others? For David, he says, my one thing. And this is, goes to our hearts, my friends. And if, and if our heart doesn't go there, oh, that, that God would catch my heart on fire. If my heart doesn't go there, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That I might know God now and forever. Jesus in John 17.3 says, this is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you have sent. Right? This is life. Now and forever. Ever. What is the one thing you want more than anything else? And if anything goes in that spot except for God Himself, revealing Himself to you and your soul now and in eternity, then we are amiss. And I'm afraid that we are amiss. I am amiss. And this is the kind of thing that He gives us to recapture our imagination and our souls. What do you want? And if you looked at your life and you looked at how you're using your time and your commitments and what you do, what do you want more than you want anything else? And if somebody were with a camera to follow you around and see what you did with your time, what your, with your solitude, but also with the time God has given and you pursue this activity and that activity and this pursuit and that pursuit, and blah, 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 would they come away saying, wow, this person's one thing is to know, love, and serve their God. Would that be the case? Would that be what the film showed? You know, and part of me says, How, what does that look like? I'm, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it would look like, but it would probably look a little different than it looks right now in my life. Calvin says, we are God's own. Therefore, let every part of our existence be directed towards Him as our only legitimate goal. In other words, he says, let God be your one thing. The main and true business of your life the Lord. It's an extraordinarily practical matter. I don't know if you capture that and think that this sounds very you know, out there in some sense. It's, an ex- it's extremely practical. Because to say yes to anything is to say no to something else. To create space so that my life would actually look like God and His kingdom seeking the kingdom first. And His righteousness, and that He, and His presence, and knowing Him and loving Him, and that all of these things were truly so. For, for me to say yes to that, I'm going to have to start saying no to some stuff in my life. I have to say no to create the space to do that. To create time and resources and heart and mind space where I'm not so full of everything else that I cannot be full of the Spirit and His presence and His life in a relationship with Him. How might your life change if with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength, you loved the Lord your God? Would it look different? Like in verse 8, he says, You have said, Lord, seek my face. So that word comes to us. Seek my face. David says, my heart says to you, Lord, when you say that to me, my heart says to you, your face is what I will seek. What does he mean, seek your face? I mean, you, know, you can get funny there too, and then you'll know, leave it off over here. Yeah, to seek somebody's face. I mean, I don't know, if you email with me long enough, somewhere in my email, and when it's got long more than once, it's going to say, 
why don't we have lunch? <laughs> let's, let's get together. Somewhere in my email is going to be, I would much rather have a face-to-face. Right? Doing this email thing, you don't know my heart. I don't really know yours. I say things, you misunderstand them. I misunderstand what you're saying. Plus, these are getting long, and I hate typing you know, books. You know. Let's get a face-to-face. What am I saying? I want to be in your presence. I want to see the expression on your face when you say that. I want to see your body language. I want to hear your tone of voice. I want to know your heart when we're talking together. I want to be able to have a back and forth. Right? I don't want to do this thing at a distance. That's what Eugene Peterson is saying. I don't want to read mimeographed things of somebody else's first hand three times removed. I want to face to face with the Lord. Right? And that's what David is saying. So God says, seek my face. Seek a one-on-one, a face to face. Where you can know my heart and I can know yours and something happens there. When our hearts meet His heart, something happens that can happen nowhere else. Fears melt and confidence rises and hope is renewed and passion is ignited in a way that just reading it and even preaching it to yourself won't quite do. We need to preach to ourselves. Then we need to get alone and seek the face of God. God says, seek my face. What does your heart say? What does your heart really say? And what will that mean if you went away from here and that became your one thing and your heart really did say it and so you really did do it? And what would it look like? And how might life be different? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who, though you are holy and though you are all that you are in light in whom there's no darkness at all, and you say to us, seek my face. Oh God, will you give us hearts this morning? Give us a heart that says, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Set us afire. Renew us. Make us alive unto God in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.